You're listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, a podcast series brought to you by Aquaculture North America. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Hello and welcome to another episode of Salmon Farming Inside and Out. I'm your host, Marilyn De Guzman. And I'm Ian Roberts. Nice to be back with you, Marilyn, to discuss everything about salmon farming inside and out. I don't know about you, but I've uh, had quite a bit of engagement uh, through emails and and social media with people, uh, first of all, complimenting the first few episodes and also coming up with some ideas for future episodes. So want to thank the listeners for that. And we, we hope to deliver on that over the next year. Keep the comments and engagement coming. Today is uh, is a fascinating interview. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. We'll get into who that is in a second, but but first, Marilyn, uh, let's start with our trivia question that we're going to answer at the end of the episode. In common vocabulary, the term red, R-E-D-D, is a verb, which means to clear or to put in order. In the salmon world, what does red refer to? Well, we'll see if uh, we and, and our guests can maybe answer that question at the end. So, uh, it's it's a pleasure for me to introduce uh, a friend and past colleague in aquaculture, Steve Atkinson. He is the founder of Taste of BC Aquafarms, located in Nanaimo, British Columbia. Taste of BC has been a pioneer in the development of RAS, that's Recirculating Aquaculture Systems. Get used to that, uh, that term. We're going to be using that a lot. Uh, Pioneer in the development of RAS for salmon, and now is the oldest continually operating salmon RAS in North America. After achieving profitability and successfully meeting operational targets as to the size of fish, quality, color, taste, and texture, Steve declared that he has successfully proven their proof of concept for steelhead salmon, RAS, in 2020. And in 2021, they merged with Blue Star Seafoods, uh, and were subsequently listed on the NASDAQ under BSFC. And the best part of the story is Steve has recently retired, and is enjoying life in Nanaimo, and is he ever, because mm-hmm. if I look at him here, the listener can't see it, but he is relaxed, sun shining away in Nanaimo, BC. So welcome to the program, Steve. Thanks, Ian. Good to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. So for listeners that maybe are new to aquaculture, they're not sure exactly what recirculating aquaculture systems are, which again, we're going to call RAS through, through this program. Um, so I want to learn just, you know, your idea on how you explain what RAS is, and then let's talk about how you built the business. And just to flag, we, we can't talk about land-based salmon farming on this program without talking about the politics of it all. So let's get into that in the latter half of the program. But but first, how do you, what's your elevator pitch on what RAS is, Steve? RAS is simply growing salmon on land in a closed environment. Very simple. And it's even like our system is a very simple system. Very technical. And yet it's surprisingly on the face, very simple. And I think that's, that's the story of RAS. So many people think it's simple. It's easy to say, but to create an environment uh, where fish can grow and thrive, I liken it a lot to uh, building a space station. When they build a space station, they have to create every aspect to support life, everything. Sometimes you think, well, just a few things. It's water and water moving and oxygen, that, but it's every aspect of life. And we're doing that for the fish. 
And what makes it even more complicated is fish are biological animals, but our system, our aquaculture system is also a biological living animal. So you have to create an environment that everything works together to create a, a life support system where fish will grow and thrive. And I've got to say, when I started this about 12 years ago, I thought it was a lot easier and we didn't have any concept of how much we did not know. And in fact, for the first six, seven, eight years, every time we'd learned something, we learned about four or five things we didn't know and we had to resolve them. So what a lot of people think is a, a done deal, an easy, you know, let's just switch, move fish from the ocean on the land. Uh, is is much more complicated than anybody out there really has a comprehension, including a lot of the people doing it. And you can see that by the troubles that, that they've had and how much longer it's taken to get going. So your your system that, that you developed, and, and I, that's where you are right now, I think you're sitting in the in the yard with the system uh, so somewhere around there in the A couple hundred feet away, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just again, for the listeners to explain, it's, you know, you're taking care of the fish and you're taking care of the system. And there's kind of two components to it. There's the growing area for the fish. And then there's the area where you're recirculating the water and, and turning everything back to you know, normal state and returning the water. Is, is that a good way to explain it for people that those are the two parts of the system? There really is, you know, there's the, there's the fish and then there's the treatment system. It's a a biological system that converts, removes harmful chemicals, removes ammonia, converts nitrogen, and creates an environment that can support the fish. And that system is alive with bacteria and other things. There's a small portion of it's mechanical, but most of it's biological. You know, it's even greater than that. There's the whole environment. There's light. There's swim speed, there's oxygen levels, there's uh, temp uh, temperature, there's uh, uh, circulation rate. You know, we could go on for probably an hour uh, of talking about the little aspects of it that, that are there. So, but it's the biological system, there's the environment and, and the fish. As complex as the technical aspect of a RAS farm is also the business side of things, right? Um, I wonder if you could talk about sort of your journey in how you started Taste of BC Aqua Farms and why in the first place did you decide to endeavor into land-based salmon farming? Okay, well, I traveled a lot. Uh, I had a, a smoked salmon business for quite a number of years that we operated in the ferry terminals and I exported and a number of things. And that business took me to China. And when we visited China, we realized that with the growing economic state of countries like China and India in particular, but China was my big focus, that food is going to be a major issue. And aquaculture in China has been the mainstay of feeding China for a thousand years. They eat more aquaculture produced products than the rest of the world, a huge amount. And most of their food is, their fish is grown. Uh, at that time, Canada, we did about uh, 80,000 tons of, of aquaculture. That was back in early, around 2000. 
And China did 470 million tons of aquaculture. It just blows your mind, the amount of difference. And their people were eating more. Their protein consumption was uh, going up by leaps and bounds. At that time, salmon was basically unknown in China. Uh, farm salmon especially was unknown. There's very little salmon. And through that, I had been playing with fish for a long time and realized that in British Columbia, we had one of the greatest opportunities to meet that need of protein in the world. And at that time, the government of Canada was looking at sort of moving into building some model farms and that kind of thing uh, for land-based production. And, and I thought at that time that in British Columbia, we had the potential opportunity for a land-based industry that would complement a net-based industry and, and could be equal in scope. So I was approached by some guys in the DFO about the potential of building a model farm had some history, I won't go back to why we were in that. That was back in 2008, and it took me about four years to be able to get DFO to put any money into it. They'd wanted to do it, but to actually get some money. and But they helped fund it, and that gave the beginning of, of our road. Now, we thought that we would have a, a, a successful business uh, within a couple of years. We were you know, again, we had bought in that land-based was tried and true and and it would be a lot easier. We thought uh, thought it was gonna be a lot less of a, a science journey than, than it was, uh, but we started. And uh, 2012, we built the farm, 2013, we stocked it. And uh, it took us till 2021 before we approached anywhere near uh, making money. And we were marginally successful, you know, profitable. We didn't make a lot of money, but it allowed us, you know, again, things sort of changed at that point. When we first started, we were looking to build a model for a family farm, size of aquaculture operation. And then through the journey, we learned that really there is no possibility of making that a profitable venture. Uh, there needs to be a certain amount of scale, but Again, this whole issue of scale has been a, been tossed around, and I think I have a very different perspective of what is the right scale than than a lot of people out there. But um, but I think we've now at the point we've got a proof of concept, and we we've got a way of taking that proof of concept and without re having to relearn everything by scaling up, we've got a, a plan of how we're going to move that scale up and maintain operational integrity with what we've got here now. And we see a 1500 ton farm as, as a reasonable scale. Maybe you could have number of them in one site, but 1500 tons seems to be our site. Uh, we have a hundred tons here in the, in the model farm. To put that into perspective, Steve, uh, 1500 tons of salmon is about today half the size of your average salmon farm, just so the listener can, can understand that. And you say there's about 100 tons of, of product there with you now. What have been those growing pains? It took nearly 10 years before you, as you say, moderately profitable. What, uh, what were the real big 
learning lessons over that decade? You know, they, they, there were a lot of them. You know, we, the first year we thought we had it made. We, we started operating and our fish performed just perfectly the first year. Uh, we had fish out. They were wonderful. Then all of a sudden our fish stopped growing. Couldn't get them to grow. We didn't know. And uh, that was a common issue that was called the stall out system that was faced, RAS faced in those days. And it took us a long while to get that resolved. Uh, then we could get them to grow. And then we faced issues with early maturation, you know, where 50% of the fish would mature early. And we had to resolve those issues. And then it's been, there's just been a, a myriad of care issues of making the fish happy so they grow. It took us years. We had the farm in September of 2020. And over a long weekend in September, we lost 80% of our biomass. These big mass mortality issues have been uh, the death nail for most RAS facilities as they've grown. And we had just arrived at the farm, point in our farm where the farm was full. Uh, we had just started regular weekly harvest at our target. Uh, and the farm was completely set right behind that. And we had a, an issue. We thought it was an ozone problem. In the end, it wound up to be a, a common bacterial gill disease that we misdiagnosed and, and didn't respond quick enough. And the action we took about the ozone uh, just accelerated the problem. We lost 80% of our biomass. So we actually thought probably we were finished at that time. But thankfully, uh, we hadn't buried ourselves in debt. We had I'd always maintained in the right from the beginning of what we're doing to only do what we can afford, not be at risk on debt all along. One of our lenders was actually came to us and said, listen, we're in for this for a penny. We're in for a pound. We think you've got to figure it out. We're behind you and we're going to help you get through this, which was an absolutely uh, a miracle, amazing thing. But we had had enough of our biomass that we that gave us a kickstart. And that next year was our profitable year. It took us 12 months to get there and, and we were profitable and we've had it figured out. And, and then that attracted investment from, from Blue Star. They, you know, they were looking around the world for successful RAS and there weren't any except us, you know, so they came on board. That hasn't been a panacea and, and, uh, you know, the stock markets have been difficult the last few years and being a public company brings additional costs and additional issues. But, you know, they still plan to do their expansion, but I've decided to step aside. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. I was, I was a young man when I started this and I've aged double, <laughs> but we produce some of the nicest fish I've ever seen. Um, nobody else has been able to do it. So I can't tell you too much of the secrets because what sort of went into that decision of what species to farm? Now, I think I can take credit for steelhead being a species of interest in wrasse and a number of people, the Hudson Valley. I know that uh, Simon Chen uh, decided to do steelhead there off of what we had learned. Uh, Mike Cunning in, in uh, Mission and David E. Kelly, who's who's put a huge investment into Idaho and, and Washington. 
there's a couple of things why I chose steelhead as a species for wrasse. And one of them was it was the most cultured fish in the world. And I thought it was going to be easy that everything was known about growing rainbow trout or steelhead, as we call them, uh, properly salmon. And but number one, I didn't see an opportunity to compete with Atlantic salmon grown in net cage. Uh, I, you know, you've got big multinational companies that dominate and know that they've they learned the process of growing these fish they've created the fish that they grow and they do it well and they do it large didn't see an opportunity to compete but then when you look at the seafood market there's always need for another species in the fresh fish case and around the world wild salmon takes about 25 percent of the of the market and then farm salmon has 50%. And then steelhead in Europe, they call it salmon trout. And some places it's rainbow trout, some places it's steelhead. But overall, it has another 25% market share. Now, I'm talking about fish that are in three, three pounds up. Uh, a rainbow trout that people call a rainbow trout, pan size, it's not in the salmon market, doesn't compete in the salmon market. It, it just isn't there. So the steelhead... I thought was a great fit as a competitive issue. I thought it was a great fit because of it was a, a, a fish that is grown in both salt and fresh water with ease in traditional processes. And I thought it was going to be an easier fish to learn. I still think that even though it's taken us 10 years, but there have been people trying to grow Atlantic salmon in RAS the same amount of time and nobody's been successful. Nobody's got it figured out and we've got this figured out. So maybe it's easier. And, but I think it's a better species. I think there's some biological aspects about Atlantic salmon that make it very difficult for growing in wrasse. Um, it just, it's propensity to become back to its base species uh, and cause some troubles with growth and, and that kind of thing. The other thing is, is it has a target market size of somewhere in the two to three kilo range for steelhead, which is, we figured we could make that a 12 month cycle in RAS, which is financially a, a, a better thing. Where Atlantic salmon is closer to a four kilo, and you're talking about a two year cycle in RAS. And again, from the time you put money in, the time you get money out, uh, a double the length of time makes it very, very difficult. Now, We've been able to grow two kilo fish easily with over the last couple of years now. And Atlantic salmon, they're nowhere near their four kilo target. So, so picking up on this, Steve, uh, as we come to the latter half of our, our podcast, you mentioned, you know, it's been 10 years of trying to become moderately profitable, growing yeah. steelhead, and the fact that no one's really been successful yet doing Atlantic salmon yet. As you know, in the Pacific Northwest, between Washington State and British Columbia, we've got politicians, you know, proudly announcing that uh, they want to remove net pens from the ocean and replace it with land-based systems. That's a current decision in Washington, and it's happening in British Columbia as well. And I, sorry for the long preamble here, but I just want to set the scene a bit. And I'm wondering whether 
some of the communications over the last decade, kind of when you started, um, ha have been an issue for salmon farming, kind of the promises made about what land-based closed containment systems can do. Um, I call it a, you know, non-viable solution to a non-existent problem, but it's something that politicians are really pitching, including your local member of parliament in Nanaimo is really hitting it hard. You know, two examples I can think of, there was a, a, another land-based system growing Atlantic salmon on Vancouver Island that in their investor package made a promise to grow the salmon in half the time. Uh, when that outfit was struggling a few years later, a journalist asked them, you know, what happened to the promise of growing salmon in half the amount of time? And the simple response was, no, no, that's changed. We, we've changed that. You know, that, that's not our promise anymore. But the whole system was built on that promise. The profitability estimates were built on that, that promise of, of half, uh, you know, speedy growth. And then there was uh, an outfit in Washington state that was funded quite heavily by one of the grocery store owners, a very wealthy individual in Vancouver. And, and they had franchised out their business to uh, a family of, I believe they were Hutterites that I spoke to many years ago, and they had bought into the franchise. And I think you mentioned the fish stalling. It's exactly what happened to them. The coho salmon just stalled, stopped growing below two kilos, and they found no help from the you know, the company whatsoever. And they lost, I think, two or $300,000 in the venture. So there's no, all these No, they promises. lost nine. One of the farms lost nine million and one of them lost seven. There you go. You've, you've got the numbers. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, this is the reality of it. And there's victims and, and there's real people that are victims, first yeah. of all, investors, and, and then people that, you know, are trying to do it. And now we've got politicians just ignoring the facts and, and claiming that this can be done for Atlantic salmon. Let's do it tomorrow. With that long introduction in the history, that's for the benefit of our listeners. Can I gather your thoughts on this? And especially given that your local MP, who I don't know has visited your outfit and spoken with you, she has, has. some pretty strong words. Yeah, yep. she has. And I have regular discussions with the minister in the minister's office. And I have been very clear to them that there is not an opportunity at present to convert 100,000 tons of salmon production to land-based. So I, and I've been on the committee, the, uh, the transition plan. That's the transition plan, the, the, the uh, Canadian government's transition plan for net pen farming. For net pen, for that's right. So at the table, I've been there and consistently, I think they've heard that we have, we're not ready to transition. The technology is not ready. But bigger than that, we aren't ready as a province to, to transition. We've had a lot of trouble just finding a site for our 1,500 ton facility that has the required power. Now, there are maybe three sites on Vancouver Island right now that have power available to, to power a 1,500 ton site, let alone you know, some people have been pitching a 50,000 ton site or a 5,000 ton site. We need two megawatts of electricity to power a 1,500 ton farm. That's an equivalent of about 2,500 homes. And there simply is not power infrastructure on Vancouver Island to support that. 
especially with this the target to move to electric vehicles and all the you know the their the city of victoria is banning uh, gas for heating and all of our power comes across submarine cables on the vancouver island and there simply isn't electricity available and then you need water and the electricity in the same place now we don't need a huge amount of water compared to you know what a, a flow through farm was but even our 1500 ton farm needs 500 gallons per minute of water every minute of every day of the year so that with the power is very difficult and one of the dangers that i see in transitioning too quickly if they want to transition is we have a huge infrastructure network based on the ocean net pin salmon farms distribution channels feed uh, mills technical support engineering all of those things that if they move without an industry developed on land then they're going to cut the legs off from beneath us and then there's the other issue is and politically with the first nations you've got first nations set against first nations now and you've got the first nations who are involved in salmon farming saying we're going to issue our own licenses and and you've got nation versus nation others saying no you can't do it and and I think they're opening a can of worms that is going to be completely outside of government control. I, I would rather see them get behind the land-based sector. Uh, it can thrive while the net cages are there, if that's really what's intended, and get a sector happening. And that, that's going to take significant investment because of power and uh, different things. Uh, but it's not going to happen in six months. And like I say, the Atlantic salmon farms... You know, you look at the big stars like Atlantic Sapphire and Aqua Bounty, they're completely stalled. Atlantic Sapphire is going to have to sell over $2 billion worth of salmon just to pay the cost overruns in their operation. That farm never has any chance of being profitable. And, and they still haven't got it figured out. You and I spoke 10 years ago, and I remember you said then, you know, I'm, I'm building this, but my vision is to have, you know, ocean-based farming and land-based farming together. And it's too bad that in the last decade, our elected officials weren't spending their energy uh, increasing seafood consumption and marketing how wonderful Canadian seafood is so, uh, so we could, uh, you know, be selling from land-based and ocean-based farms. Yeah. Um, that's where I think the energy should be spent. Absolutely. So much of the argument about against ocean-based salmon farming is based on long past practices. You know, you look at this industry, there is no greater sustainable, efficient production of protein than salmon farming, land or ocean. I'm now retired, so I'm old enough that I'm I'm on this side of the thing. And I've watched the salmon farm industry develop. Uh, I was in Souk when Harry Hammer had a, uh, a net cage in the Souk Harbor back in 1985, 84, 85. And the practices that they did then were, they were learning, but they weren't good. 
placement of farms wasn't good. But we're a whole world. We're, you know, millions of tons farther along producing fish uh, from that time. And, you know, just this, if, if it was a scientific argument, there would be no argument. And, you know, I'm a land-based farmer. I'm a proponent of land-based, but I'm not an anti-net cage salmon farm guy. And I've stayed, said that all along. Uh, in fact, Maui has been one of my greatest supporters. Some of my best friends in this industry are in Maui. They're uh, a company that it just is outstanding in its sustainability drive. So politics and science, you know, the science, you have to play with science to tell a negative story with salmon farming. As part of the transition that's going on right now, you know, the environmentalists, the government, everybody that's involved in that, like what's the feedback that you're getting from them we have this messaging that's coming from the government we need to stop net pen farming and move everything to land you know the the key term that you hear now from government from the minister is precautionary principle and that precautionary principle is a synonym for science doesn't matter and our present minister i think she believes in what she's doing but I've got to think there's an awful lot of money behind the environmental movement that is swaying decisions at the office of the prime minister. And that's where the decision is being made. It is not being made, I believe, at the minister of fisheries level. I believe the minister, it's a decision of the PMO and it's a political decision. And a few years ago, I thought there was no way the trend, you know, the phasing out of net cage salmon farming in British Columbia would ever be serious topic. I think it's a done deal. You know, we're only about a month or so away from them publishing uh, their plan. And I think the, the government is going to phase out quickly the licenses, and it's going to be in the hands of First Nations. Being as I'm looking at you on the screen right now, you got your feet up and you're probably deciding how many ice cubes you're going to put in your GNT in about <laughs> uh, 15 minutes. Um, let's talk about just you personally and your uh, your your plan for retirement. What does retirement look like after you put in all this effort? Well, right now, I don't know. You know, when I started this and there's a video that's been out that was done of me back in 2013. And I said, I didn't do this for the money. I did it for the legacy. I, I really, this was my swan song in life that I want to leave a mark. And I think I have done, I think, you know, we have done something about developing the science of land-based salmon farming. Uh, my son is now operating the company for Blue Star. I don't know how they're going to do in, in getting this going. It's, there's, a, there's still challenges of finances and, and that kind of thing. Uh, will I rise up again? I don't know. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying uh, going to bed at night and not listening for an alarm. Uh, I've lived a number of years right here, right on the farm, and uh, an alarm call. We're 12 minutes away from losing everything. Well, Probably, so you're not talking about your alarm clock. You're talking about I'm an talking about alarm an oxygen alarm. Fish. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I I can probably safely say I'm the I'm probably the only person that's made a profit 
in land-based salmon farming, legitimate profit. There's some people who have made money uh, selling franchises and doing some things like that. Uh, and the term aquashyster has been a pretty consistent uh, part of aquaculture, land-based aquaculture. But, you know, I, I'm proud that I have made enough money that I can retire. Uh, and I've made it from fish farming. And I think that's that's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, I, I would still like to see it uh, grow. I would like to see uh, that 1,500 farm, farm, ton farm go. And uh, I'm sort of keeping my hand out, but my mind in. And uh, we'll see where it goes. I, where Steve Atkinson goes, I don't know. Uh, next, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm off on a cruise. That's where I'm going. I've got a million or so airplane points that I'm going to use. And so I'm going to do some visiting. Maybe I'll come and see you out in St. Andrews. It's a nice place there. I'm looking with eager anticipation. I think I think I've done enough for me personally that it can that I can walk away and say I, I I've made a mark. I'd love to take part in sharing some of our knowledge. Some of that I've sold that I can't share. Uh, two more years, then I can sell say anything I want, and uh, we'll see what happens when that happens. Well, while you didn't give us any trade secrets in this episode, we certainly appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge and you have been working hard over the last decade or many more. Now, this is usually the part in the uh, podcast where we ask, how can our listeners get a hold of you? But I'm going to spare you that because you're retired. You don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be reachable. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll leave that question aside. You know um, what, Ian, my email address is still the same. I don't mind. Steve at freshbcsalmon.com. I like to talk to people. There you go. There uh, you go. Good, good for you. It's a benefit of the industry to have you as their go-to knowledge person. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a contrarian, but I, I, I said from the beginning I would tell the truth, success or failure. And uh, I think I'm friends with most, both sides of the issue. Ian, you and I have been friends for a long time. You've been a big supporter of what I've done. And I've been a supporter of, of, of your work as well and your company, Maui. I wouldn't be in this business at all if it wasn't for Maui. And uh, I've, I've got to know the culture of that company and the people, some of the finest people I can know. Lovely. Marilyn, we're going to end with the trivia question. So why don't you remind us what that was? Yes. So in common vocabulary, the term red, R-E-D-D, -D, is a verb, which means to clear or to put in order. In the salmon world, what does red refer to? It's a noun, and it means a salmon nest. Yes, that's correct. It's uh, where the salmon create the bed for when it's time to lay their eggs. Three, four, three, right? Yeah, yeah. Our, our guests certainly are knowledgeable. They seem to know all the answers. So, Steve, it was wonderful to catch up with you, and thank you very much for sharing all your history, knowledge, and, and opinions. Um, we appreciate the honesty and the uh, transparency. Thanks, uh, thanks again for coming on our show. Sounds good. If you ever want to talk about the finances of RAS and the consequences of scale and stuff, there's another idea for you. Thank you. Excellent. Steve. Appreciate Definitely. that, Steve. Yes, definitely a, a topic for discussion next time. Okay, take care. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Salmon Farming Inside and Out, brought to you by Aquaculture North America. If you have a comment on today's episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, 
Connect with Aquaculture North America on Twitter or through our LinkedIn and Facebook pages. This podcast is sponsored by Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species.